0: Proverbs is a fun book of wise sayings. Uh, A lot of them are just sort of uh, quippy little out-of-context sayings of things that have been wisdom brought about by life experienced. Uh, I was looking forward to uh, this sermon series for just a few weeks talking about Uh, what I was hoping were some of the lighter things in Proverbs, but I'm not sure that we're going to be able to be as light today considering what we all come here with today. But that said, I'm going to read some Proverbs to you because I find them so compelling. And uh, many of these you'll probably recognize. Maybe you didn't even know they were biblical. You just heard them said as wise sayings. But uh, there are a lot of famous ones. Like, for example, it was in the video, but trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's a great proverb. Another one is, a wise son accept his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. My dad liked that verse a lot. <laughs> pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Pride comes before disaster, but humility before respect. You may have heard to say that pride comes before the fall. Haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Lovers of God think before they speak, but the careless blurt out wicked words meant to cause harm. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Start children off in the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. An endless drip, drip, drip from a leaky faucet. And the words of a cranky, nagging wife have the same effect. How'd that get in there? Oh, man. It's Proverbs 27:15. It's in the Bible. Don't shoot the messenger. But that said, I, I had a sermon planned today, long ago leading into today. And I'm going to read the text from it anyways. But the way I've read it has shifted a little bit this week. But originally, I wanted to talk today about Addiction. And addiction is such that it touches many people's lives. There are so many things, especially in our world, our situation, the way we are today, that one can become addicted to. Anything from alcohol, sex or pornography, drugs, gambling, caffeine, tobacco, internet and technology, video games, food, even work. The key factor in recognizing whether or not something is an addiction is this. This is really the definition is, if you cannot stop doing it and there are negative consequences to your continuing doing it. If you have something in your life that you cannot stop doing, no matter if there are negative consequences and people around you are telling you it's affecting them negatively, it's probably an addiction. Many of us are probably more addicted to things than we care to admit, We have a ministry at Crossroads that is meant to be helpful in times and places and moments like this. We call it Celebrate Recovery. It meets on Monday nights, and it'll help you through any of these kind of addictions. It has a 12-step program, but it's not meant simply for drugs and alcohol like traditional uh, anonymous 12-step programs are. It it is meant to help uh, lean into and wrestle with the hurts, habits, and hang-ups in your life that may be causing you to have an output in addictive or self-detrimental behavior. So there are so many things, and I may not have even named the things, but there are probably people in this room today that wrestle with some of the things that I mentioned today. And God has freedom for you from those things. They're not meant. The, the, most of them were designed to be decent and usable things. Video games are an amoral thing, right? But we can become addicted to things that are even amoral and they can have destructive consequences in our life and our relationships. But I want to talk about a different kind of addiction today, one that uh, isn't usually on the board when we think about addiction, but one that we seem to collectively really be struggling with, one that seems to be reaching out and seducing so many today. I want to talk about power. Who gets it? Who has a say in it? Who's yearning for it, and the lengths we'll go in order to get our piece of it. And so today I want to just read from Proverbs chapter 23. Whether I was talking about alcohol or power, this is the text that I was thinking of leading into this week. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 31 to 35. And I invite you, if you would, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord today? Proverbs chapter 23, verses 31 to 35. Do not gaze at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down so smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and it poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. An addiction is something that you cannot stop doing, even when there are negative consequences for it. It seems we Americans are struggling with the addiction of power, and it's come to a head this week. For any of you who have followed the news or logged onto Facebook or Twitter, you know that there were some unfortunate events that happened, not far from this very room where we're gathered today, this week. The question at play is power. Who has it? Who acquires it? Who wields it? who gets to be right, who is validated, who gets to appear correct and strong. And I'm not here today, seriously, to talk about who is right or wrong. That's really outside the purvey of anything I'm interested in today. I'm not concerned at all who is right or wrong. I am concerned about how the church of Jesus Christ is behaving and acting. We seem to be sipping on the seductive wine Of Babylon, which we'll read about in Revelation in just one minute. We yearn to be powerful and right. We yearn for people to see it my way, to have my perspective, to hear me out without ever listening to what you have to say. We want a piece of the pie. Drink up. There's a saying. In vino veritas means in wine there is truth. Or more broadly, it might say, when someone's under the influence of alcohol, they tell the truth. But what truth? What truth is it that they are telling? Whose truth is it that they are sharing? And today, it seems to me that we Americans have been drinking from the cup of power for so long that we are drunk on it. We seek truth. We blabber our truth all over the internet in chat forums social media and comment sections and if we can't muster our own truth or articulate what it is we want to see we simply wait for our public thinkers our tv hosts or our twitter sleuths to come up with the point of view which we can then share sure it looks bad that my side stormed the capitol Sure, it looks bad that my side looted and destroyed a business. Sure, it looks bad that my side is censored or censored someone. Sure, it looks bad that someone on my side incited violence. But when my program comes on, it will all make sense, and then I'll have an argument to vindicate myself and others just like me. Drink up. I ask you today who gets to tell you that it's enough? Who has the right in your life to tell you that you're drunk? Who has the right to come alongside of you and say to you, it's time to sober up now. Who has the right to tell you that you're wrong, that you've gone too far, that you've said too much or done too much? Who in your life is that mentor or friend that gets to come alongside of you and say, your truth, the way you're seeing it, may not be complete. Someone else may have a point. Who gets to come alongside of you and say, log out, calm down? Who gets to tell you to stop fighting? We live in a world of what about? What aboutism. But two wrongs don't make a right. Who is feeding you as a mentor or a friend or an authority to remind you about accountability, integrity, apology, repentance? We're not very good at repentance anymore. We're not very good about seeing the frenzy around us and stepping back and saying, this is not for me. We get caught up in frenzy after frenzy, and we become drunk on the frenzy around us. And because, of course, the way that social media works is that the unfollow button or the mute button or the unfriend button is so easy, because our television caters our news to our preconceived notions already there's no one in our lives who ever challenges us. And as soon as we see challenge, we label them and we push them away. Who are the people in our lives that bring us accountability? I, I grew up in conservative churches. I, I, I think I pastor in a conservative context. And yet I've seen this very weak conservative voices like Beth Moore Ed Stetzer, Rick Warren, these are conservative Christian American pastors who say enough Christian Church of America. We've gone too far and I've seen them immediately shouted back at labeled as Marxist and wrong-headed and incorrect. Who is it in our life that gets to tell us enough? You see, the problem with it is I read this text here before us today, and I look in our context in the church today, I don't see much different between a drunkard and the way that we're behaving. We're loud. We're sloppy. We can't shut up. And we're not doing much that's productive or helpful in any way, shape, or form. And there's no one that we're willing to open our lives up to to come along and say, okay. That's enough. And what's amazing is having grown up in in the church. I remember when I was a child, for, for those of you who are younger than me, you may not have grown up in churches like this, but for you who are my age and older, I imagine you'll remember this. When we were told in sermon after sermon in the 1990s to prepare for the day that it would be unsafe to be a Christian. That the answer to prepare for that day was to draw near to Jesus and receive your power and your life from him. Know his voice because he is sufficient for all. We talked about, when I was a kid, we talked about the need for our leaders to be men and women of character. And we have long since dismissed that outright. If they will fight for us, we do not care who they are. We have talked about the weight, way back in the 90s when I was growing up, we talked about the weight of sin crushing on us, the dangers of addiction, and we talked about the need for repentance in our life. And we modeled it by repenting and confessing. And we talked about the need for revival in our church, our lives, and our country. We should have been preparing for this moment that we live in right now. We should have been digging into scripture, prayer. We should have been finding mentors. We should have been cultivating integrity. We should have leaned into community and worship for 20, 30 years. We could have prepared for this moment. And this moment came, and we were deeply unprepared. We look like the world, we smell like the world. We could have been prepared. In a world of unrest, in a world of confusion, in a world of angry, when the rhetoric kept getting higher and higher and higher, we could have been the non-anxious presence of God, that invited people into a different life that seemed so deeply, deeply uh, exciting and different and meaningful. In a world where the rhetoric was skyrocketing to a fever pitch, we could have been the calm peacemakers in this world. We could have been the ones saying, we don't have to participate in this chaos all around us. We could have been peaceable, and instead we joined right in. I've gotten to the point... I can just be confessional with you for a moment, that I I can't log into Facebook more than two to three times a day. I can't do it, because as soon as I get on there, I see the people of God using unbelievably harsh language towards both people who are their brothers and sisters in Christ, and to people whose mission it is for them to be winning them for Jesus, The language we are using on Facebook is anything but the language of Christ. It is nasty. And we know Christ. We're meant to be drawing near to Christ in this time. And drawing near to Christ means being filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit means that the output of our life is the fruit of the Spirit. That when people look upon us, those of us who know Christ, who are filled with the Spirit, what they should see is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we are the people of God, this is what our neighbor tastes when they take a bite out of our fruit. But I don't see it. I see the opposite over and over and over. Hate, anger, unrest, impatience, unkindness meanness, faithlessness, no control whatsoever out of the people of God. We are meant to be the people led by the Spirit on good days and bad. And it's not about whether or not, seriously, whether or not there's bad news in our world. If you're frustrated, I get it. There's a lot to be frustrated about, right? But how do we process our frustration? What are we doing about it? Are we off mission because we're frustrated by the way our world is going? No. The frustration of the way the world is going should make us lean into Jesus. To make us look like Jesus and to act as if Jesus is enough. I've heard it said before that the definition of idolatry is anything you need on top of Jesus to be happy. And it appears to me we are a deeply idolatrous people. Our message should be that Jesus is the one who saves and that Jesus is enough. I long for the people of God to behave like that. But it's really hard to behave like that, to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit when you're drunk. So the rage of today may go down smoothly conspiracy theory and projection it may be beautiful seductive red bubbles in the cup but as we drink it up we find that it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper look around our country's a mess the american church is not coming off as a beautiful bride dressed and prepared for the return of christ A drunk person, when they look around, they see strange sights. They see confusing things. They say things like the proverb says, you'll be sleeping on the high sea, lying on top of the rigging, and it hits you, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, and I don't feel it. That's what happens when you're drunk. You don't feel. You don't experience. You don't see right. You're confused. But like the text says here, every time we sober up for a minute... A new chaos comes, and we seem to say, pass the cup again. Give me the wine one more time. I want to match the frenzy. I want to match the anger. And if I'm angry but I don't have words, someone give them to me so I can share them on social media. The frenzy keeps rising, and we meet it every single time. No matter what it is you're addicted to, technology, alcohol, drugs, gambling, politics, television, power, anger, no matter what it is, it doesn't matter how destroyed we feel by the last bout, no matter how we're still dealing with the fact that we were punched in the eye and now that I'm sober I can feel it, we say, we seem to say, pass the drink one more time, I want to get in on this action. We don't know when to stop. We know it's destructive. We know it's destroying people's lives and souls We know that people are dead this week. But we want the drink passed one more time. And I think it's because we don't know how to stop. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my sister, uh, and I'm not here to besmirch my sister. I love my sister. But my sister had a temper problem when she was a little kid. She doesn't anymore. She's completely in control of herself. But when she was a little kid, she had a temper. And if the wrong day found her and the wrong instruction from my parents found her, she would whip up into a temper tantrum that you would not believe. Like, like the kind of temper tantrum where my mom was hoping the neighbors didn't hear it because she assumed there'd be a knock on the door, right? That kind of temper tantrum. And Amy's fever pitch would just rise and rise and rise. And I got to the point that um, I began to recognize something that I don't think my parents ever could because my parents, as parents, felt like they had to match the intensity so that she didn't dominate the household, right? And so I don't want to make it seem like I'm some sage gray so I'm two years older than her, right? But I I had no stick in the fire over these things. I just wanted to stop. But I began to recognize about when I was 10 and she was 8 that when she would get into these moods, and it's not like it was every day, it's not like she was a brat, nothing like that, but like these moments would happen. And, and you, I could see in her eyes in a way that my parents just missed because they were matching her intensity, that she would come to the point that she realized she wanted this all to stop, but she didn't know how. And so rather than apologizing or de-escalating, because she was eight and had the emotional maturity of an eight-year-old, She would just keep raising the stakes, even though she knew she wanted to go the other way. But it was already such a fever pitch in our household, she didn't know how to be the one to de-escalate it. She only figured she could out-fever pitch my parents to make it stop. But my parents kept matching her, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, and louder and louder and louder, and the threats both ways kept becoming more and more insane and i like i i um i really hate loud conflict I i hate loud conflict if i'm in a conflict with people i'm sarcastic because i can't yell yelling freaks me out and it freaks me out because of moments like this like as a child that just boom it would just keep and i hated it i hated it but the frenzy just kept raising and raising and raising, one after another, they would match one another, even though it was clear to everyone that no one wanted to be in that space. But the inability of an eight-year-old to simply articulate that she realizes it's gone too far and she wants to figure out a way back, how does an eight-year-old say that? You could see that she felt it, but she didn't have the tools yet to walk back and to de-escalate. And I feel like that's such a description of where we're at in the church today. We may have joined the frenzy. We may have been involved in the rhetoric getting sharper and sharper. But I hope we can come to realize that maybe this isn't the battle that we need to be in. Maybe, maybe we don't have to keep matching the fury of what's happening around us. Maybe, just maybe, it's time for us to break out of the tantrum and to say, you know what? I'm not happy. I'm not, I'm not happy with how my country is or how a vote went or who's in charge or, or policies that was made by the last administration or whatever. I mean, those are perfectly reasonable things to think. Reasonable th- people disagree on these things. That's Okay. But to match the frenzy and the anger, I just don't see the fruit of the Spirit growing on our trees anymore. And the irony of it is, is that the battle's over. In Christ, God has won. We're fighting over power for a world that we know will fall before the presence of God. We need to rethink this i wanted to read uh some from revelation i I meant to do it earlier in my sermon i got carried away but i I think i think it's still worth reading if you don't mind um i'm going to just look at revelation chapter 14 and i'm going to talk about it because it talks about drinking from cops that make you drunk and revelation i know this that it's it's a confusing book uh, the the heavy symbolism of the book often causes people to shy away it's hard to interpret it's it's complex to really get your head around all that's happening here but if if i could just suggest to you that i think the baseline theme of revelation is that there are seven churches terrified about the power of rome that they're afraid of their public witness because they can be put to death for their witness and that God gives this revelation to John to show him that even when it seems like the power of the world is crushing on these churches and that there's no one who can win, only only the people of God can lose, John is reminded and shown that God is at work in powerful ways behind the scenes on behalf of the people who love him. And so we can recognize this world of beasts and dragons. We feel them every single day. Maybe not literally. I mean, I don't think you're going to go out the door and see a fire-breathing dragon with a wagging tail, right? But you can identify the beasts and the dragons in our world. And John is saying to them, God is at work in spite of that. And so there's this option, three options by three angels in Revelation chapter 14. In this church, under the thumb of Rome is reminded that there are one of three ways that you can live this life. And each of them are represented really by a glass that you can drink angels come offering each it goes like this then I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth to every nation tribe language and people he said in a loud voice fear God and give him glory because the honor of his judgment has come or the hour of his judgment has come worship him who made the heavens the earth the sea and the springs of water there's one cup you can drink Give God honor and glory. Trust that he's king. Worship and honor and follow his rule. The second angel says this, he followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Babylon was already fallen by the time this was written. It represents powerful governments that are seductive. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink her maddening wine of her adulteries. Third angel followed and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into a cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. Three options. Give God honor and glory. Fall seduced to the power of this world. Or live in your own sin and finally drink the cup of God's fury and wrath. Three cups. The middle one seems to be one that's seducing us, that we're drunk on, that sobering up is going to be really difficult for. But I ask you, really, the theme of what I want to get at today is this, is who is mentoring you? Who is allowed to say it's too much? Who's allowed to say you've gone too far? Who's speaking into your life to remind you when you no longer taste like the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit that you're bearing, which once was love, joy, peace, patience, has now begun to rot just a little bit? Who gets to point you back to the goodness of God who asks only for honor and glory from us? I don't know what the great antidote is. I'm sure that it's difficult and and individualized for each of us. Some of us aren't very far down the path. Some of us are way down the path. But it seems to me that the best place to go from here is to drink from the cup that leads us back to giving honor and glory to God to set down the seductive wines of this world and say, I don't don't need to be drunk on the power and story of this world. I need instead to be nourished and fulfilled by something that's a little more sustaining and a little more eternal. So we're going to come today in response to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us, that we would find in it enough to sustain us, to satisfy us, to make us whole. Today, as the pastors come and they they take the sheet off and we offer this element to you, I, I want you to think of yourself in a less privileged, less powerful position, almost as if you're a beggar in a bread line, desperate for something that will fulfill and satisfy and my hope and prayer is is that you come to the presence of God at this table you will find that his good gift given for free simply because he loves you is enough to nourish and satisfy those holes in our life that feel desperate and need to be filled and so as we come today i'm going to give you just a couple instructions i would ask we'll set up three sections one to each side of me and then one in the middle If you would just let the pod or the section before you come, receive, and then return to their seat, then you can get up and come, receive, and return to your seat. Let's try to just have one section, one family section at a time come forward. Uh, The song gives us plenty of time for the whole room to wait their turn to come forward. And we'll all have what is here, which is uh, prepackaged, entirely, fully sealed. Our pastors have uh, gloves on. I hope we have some Jesse size. We'll be all right. Okay, good. And so just come, receive the elements, and return back to your seat. We'll take them all together in the end. And uh, as we prepare, let me read to you the words of institution given to us by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it in in remembrance of me, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me say a word of prayer as we prepare to receive. Lord, I pray that you would see us and that you would know us, that your love would break in to this place that we would find your nourishment to be sufficient, that our hearts would be turned fully to you, and that as we take this bread and this juice, may we find the fullness of your presence mysteriously as we receive it. Come into this place, meet us, rearrange our lives as necessary, affirm what is good, and remind us of how satisfying a life spent with you is. We pray this, Lord, in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we sing, you may stand and come.